you won't venture to the fast food restaurants as much as you used to, especially if you get your young ones involved in it. You realize that it's much more nutritious for them. And then that's it. So I think this is a phenomenal way. We're going back to most likely how our, our grandparents did. They used all the pots, <laughs> you know, but this is just one pot. You're preparing the food. You put it in there. And it comes from a place of love because you know that this is what is best for your family. That's it. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. You'll hear who Rhonda is and how we met in the beginning of our conversation, but I brought her in for a different reason than most of my other guests. Separate from the podcast, I invite a lot of people for my famous no-packaging vegetable stew. Though I created it for accessibility, that is for a lot of people to be able to make it also, people kept telling me I didn't understand that for some people, these stews would be less accessible, especially, as they would always say, the single mom in a food desert with three kids and three jobs. Well, let's not speculate. Let's hear from one. I think you'll find my conversation with Rhonda surprising. We actually met before, as you'll hear, with her son that time, to eat and record, but we got so caught up in cooking and eating that we postponed recording to this time. And actually, I should say that we met eating at the farm where I get my CSA vegetables from. But most of what I would introduce about, we talk about in the first few minutes, so let's hear from Rhonda. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Rhonda. Rhonda, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Joshua. Thank you for coming over. And actually, this is her second time over because last time I made my famous no-packaging vegetable stew. And, and I talk about that with everyone I meet. Oh, wow. All right. So I'm going to keep the listeners, keep them waiting to hear about that. Okay. Actually, I want to hear more too. But first, let's find out a, a bit about you. And I'm going to tell the listeners the story that you already know, which is how we met. And actually a little bit before that, which I've told you about too. Yes. So I invite a lot of people over for my famous no-packaging vegetable stew. And I found it very, like it's, it's cheaper, it's faster, it tastes better, it's friendlier. That's been my experience compared to what I ate before, which was largely packaged food. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's more accessible for basically everyone. Because dried beans you can buy and they'll stay on your shelf for a year, at least, you know, longer. And a pressure cooker, all you do is plug it in and it works. Mm -hmm. And you don't need anything special. It's just chopping vegetables. And then somehow I, get, I constantly get this comment. That's great, Josh, for you. But you don't know what it's like to be a single mother in a food desert, taking care of multiple jobs and multiple kids. And you have this privilege and other people don't have it. And so what you have doesn't really apply to them. And I always feel like there's an implied checkmate, like as if what I do doesn't work in some way. So that's been on my mind for a while. And... 
I take a bus to the, or I belong to this CSA where I get my vegetables. And we're having this, we go up to the farm where I get my vegetables from. And I sit down and you're there. And we start talking and it's you and your son, Torrance, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of people that you, you all knew, or you knew them all. And I felt really awkward. But when, when the bus got back, I told you about like this, people talk about Josh, you don't know what it's like to be a single mom. And I was like, I really don't, because I, I thought what I was doing would be more accessible. And I said, you know, I think you're closer to this world that people keep telling me about. And I can't speak for people I'm not. And I so invited you. And you've been very great. You've graciously come here. And sorry for talking so much. Could you tell us two things? When we met, what was it like for you? And who are you? Well, my name is Rhonda. And I actually, I live in the Bronx. When I met you... You know, we're on the farm and you actually came back to the table where your, your belongings were. And I believe I told you this before, you know, allow myself to open new doors, you know, and meeting different people. Living in the Bronx, I deal with a number of families. I take care of their children. I tutor. And I see so many different things, you know. You have young ones who are dealing with, you know, issues in school. You know, you have the parents. I deal with other single parents. I deal with married couples, and there are just so many different situations, you know, involving those parents. Uh, I'm also a part of a CSA, and the food is phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know. So looking at the CSA and how it has assisted me and my family, you know, overstanding the difference between from farm to table as opposed to from supermarket to table with the foods being packaged and the different tastes in the packaged food and the um, farm foods. So what's a CSA? I mean, we know, but other people don't know. And how did you get involved? And how did that lead you up to the farm? I became a part of the CSA. It must have been maybe seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And a woman approached me in the street. And she, she was looking for people to join her CSA. A CSA is a community structured agriculture where people become partners with the farm you know, a New York City farm, you know, whether it's an hour, hour and a half away. And so we both get from the same farm, but delivered you to the Bronx and me exactly, down here. Exactly, exactly. And at that point, I was part of a different farm. A different CSA? A different, no, same CSA, but a different farmer. Okay. And at some point, we had to find another farmer because the variety, we were looking for uh, variety. Uh-huh. So we found Stone Ledge Farm, uh-huh. and they're phenomenal. Yes, I've been with the CSA for, what did I say, seven years. And I noticed that the food is, since it's coming directly from the farm, you know, it doesn't have to go through the process of the assembly line and being packaged and then brought to the the Bronx in a truck Mm -hmm. in packages. We get it fresh directly from the crates, you know, beans, uh, the greens, the root vegetables. You know, we even have fruits. Mushroom, I love mushroom, and we get it from a particular farm out there as well. And I decided to join because this woman made this her life's passion to bring fresh food to the Bronx. And no one looked at it as a gift. It it became more of a, I would say, an inconvenience for everyone because you're shopping in the supermarkets and it's convenient but when you have to deal directly with the farmer, you have to wait for them to come back. And it's a particular time, you know, once a week and you get this. And it became not convenient for them 
because they like to go to the store every day to pick up the things. Them being? Um, anyone else in the community, anyone we approached about it, uh-huh. you know, they liked going directly to the store because they could, I guess, I'm not sure why, but people weren't interested in it. And maybe because of the price as well. You know, they thought that the price was a bit much. You have to pay a particular uh, set amount in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you get your produce over yeah. a 24-week span. And a lot of people weren't interested in it because, you know, if they only had a particular amount of money, they'd spend it in the grocery grocery store as opposed to giving however much, you know, to the farmer for the produce. So it's something like I spent a couple hundred bucks in like January mm-hmm. and the food starts coming to me in May. So I'm out that money. But then the past few, I've been in, I think, three years, maybe four years. And these have all been bumper years. I mean, I've been getting way more than I paid for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the, the cash flow doesn't work so well. On the flip side, the farm, it's great for the farm because they know that they have their fixed income every year and exactly. they get it early. But then there's this community of like, we go to the farm and we meet people. I, like I, it's the highlight of my summer, one of them. And I just love going to that farm. And there I get to eat right out of the, like this time there were no cherry tomatoes. I guess they had picked them all. Probably. In past years, I specifically don't, eat that morning and exercise a lot to build up my hunger so I can go out in the fields and get the cherry tomatoes. Because even if they're picked that morning, when I get them, that's not as fresh as if I eat it right off the vine. I I have even put the cherry tomato while still on the vine in my mouth in case in that one second between when I pick it and put it in my mouth. And I'm kind of geeky that way. I like to. Well, you know, if it were between the farm and the supermarkets, um, I, I believe everyone between the busy schedules you just run to the supermarket to pick up what you have to. It's packaged. It's probably all you have to do is just rinse it off or you throw it in the pot and you do whatever. Or a lot of people are going more toward fast food where they think that's more accessible for them because when they get home, they're tired. They don't have to cook. They have, whether it be one of the fast food restaurants or you know someone who prepares the food for them and they bring it home and they eat it as opposed to taking the fresh vegetables and mixing it up. And a lot of people don't have the time to do that at this point. You stated being a single mother, you know, I looked at it where this, it's easier just to run out there and grab um, something from the diner. You know, you sit and, and you don't have any dishes to wash and you're, and you prepare for the next day. You know, I enjoy, I don't have a nine to five, mm-hmm. but I make my schedule. So now, whereas I did have a nine to five years ago when my mm-hmm. daughter was growing up, you know, we used to, I used to get up in the morning and make dinner, uh, get up an hour early, make dinner. And when we came home, dinner was prepared already. And we had our vegetables and whatever else. You know, now it seems like it's even more difficult for people to, to commit to making dinner, you know, so it's ready when they get home. And my experience with you and how you do the stews mm-hmm. and getting this across to people is phenomenal because... It takes, it took 20 minutes mm-hmm. for you to put it together, for you to make as far as cutting up the, the, the vegetables and, and, and whatever else that can be done on a weekend or have the kids, you know, involve the kids with that, the children with that. And, you know, you cook it in the morning and when you come home, it's done, you know? So I think what you're doing. Well, actually, let me interrupt for a second. Cause oh, well, first I have to add 20 minutes and that's like 10 meals. So yeah. we had one and then there was like, the, the pot is still 
mostly exactly. full at that point. Exactly. And, and so if I had my bucket, I would have taken some <laughs> home with me that day. But I did it, you know. But you're right. It's there for two, maybe even three days. And if you have two uh, pressure cookers, you know, you do one uh, style here, and a style here, another style here. And you can have that for six days at that point. Yeah. You know. Well, I, haven't, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I actually do have an extra pressure cooker Okay. because I was invited by this corporation to do like, uh, I cooked for about 50 or 60 people, nothing to throw away at the end. Okay. And we had three pressure cookers going Mm -hmm. and I brought mine and they bought two more and they kept one for themselves and they were like, keep the other. So I now have a second pressure cooker. Oh, wow. And I haven't used it, but I could actually cook a lot more at once. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then you look at a family, you know, I have... One shot, but I, I have other young ones who come, you know, mm-hmm. so I can even make portions of that for them as well. But you look at families who have four, maybe even six kids, mm-hmm. and this is the way to go. I want to hear more about that. And now I want to give a little more foundation. You said that there are people who they want convenience and they don't really have time for these things mm-hmm. for cooking at home. Now, I think that the way I often put it is eating this way isn't expensive or time-consuming. Not knowing how to cook is expensive and time-consuming. And my cooking is chopping vegetables, putting them in the, in the pressure cooker, or just chopping vegetables, throwing some dressing on, and I make these my own dressings, and, and just eating them like that. Does this ring true with you? That if once you know how to cook, then to throw stuff together is pretty quick. You know what's funny? My family, they've always told me that I can't cook. Wow. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I don't like to use seasoning, I don't like to use salt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've discovered the Himalayan salt and my new family, they still use the Himalayan salt, even though I believe that you should taste the food, not yeah. the seasoning, not mm-hmm. the salt. And as far as knowing how to cook and being afraid of cooking, mm-hmm. I was always afraid to cook mm-hmm. because I thought no one would enjoy my food mm-hmm. because I didn't like to put the salt or anything in it. Now... And just putting, you know, chopping up the vegetables and, and, and the greens and putting it in the pot and knowing that it's about the taste of what you put in the pot. And food, onions, that's, that can be a seasoning, you know, mm-hmm. or dill, that's a seasoning. So but I think it's about not being afraid to cook. You know, once you, and that was my thing. I was afraid, and now I'm not afraid to cook. Because you were judging your cooking. Exactly. You know, now I'm not afraid to cook because... There are so many different things to put in. Number one is love. (laughs) And the second thing is there are so many different types of herbs that you can use to bring out the flavor of of whatever you put in that pot. So I'm no longer afraid to cook. As a result of you being here last time or in general in life? Um, More so in being here the first time, time. Uh you know, because I would have thought of putting almonds you know, on some on a stew, I would have probably put it in to cook it through, mm-hmm. but the different texture was enjoyable between the the you know whatever whatever you gave me to put on top the crunch you and know the, the different toppings. So it's even more so. I'm not afraid to cook because I've learned I've learned particular things from you. All right. First, I have to say a, a minute ago when you said that you were afraid to cook. But now, as you said, now, let the record show, the listeners can't see this, but she's pointing at the pressure cooker pot that's over <laughs> on my counter. 
And I think you were saying now as a result of, of observing that, of seeing mm -hmm. this way of cooking. Exactly. And now I have to give credit to my mom because at first I put everything in the pressure cooker at once. Mm -hmm. And out came what I found was a delicious stew. But my mom said, they're all homogenous. Like the texture, there's no variation in texture. And that's when I learned to, there's three times when I put stuff in. There's when I put stuff in at the beginning that gets full pressure cooked. So the legumes, if I put a sweet potato in, if I put squash in, it gets the full treatment. But if I put a cauliflower in, then it just completely gets vaporized. I mean, the nutrition's all in it, but there's no discernible cauliflower. So then there's when I open the pressure cooker, the water's still boiling. If I could do quick release. And if I put something in there, like a broccoli floret or a cauliflower, then it'll get cooked, but not pressure cooked. Then a third time when I can put stuff on is after it's cold and I put it on the plate and I serve it. That's when I put the onions on. And I can't let people put their own onions on because they all think, oh, it's going to mess up my breath or something like that. They don't realize that it doesn't happen. It's crispy. And I always put nuts if the person's not allergic and uh, onions on. And then in the height of the summer, I'll put on cucumbers and red peppers and whatever peppers are around. It's stuff that's like crunchy. And the short thing is because that came from my mom's suggestion. But the big picture is that I just started doing it. And once I started cooking, I started getting advice from all over the place that mm -hmm. before I would never have cared about or even gotten. But once I'm actively doing it, it builds connection with people. And next thing you know, people think that I have, I don't know what they think, how I got this stuff, but it was really like the first ones tasted terrible. And at first it was just cooking beans. And then it was like, oh, I'll save time. I'll throw some broccoli in with the beans. And then I'm like, oh, this tastes pretty good. And then over time it evolved into this. And when people tell me, you know, some people don't have time for this. I think they're talking about you. But you're talking about other people I'm saying they don't have time. But you would fit the description of people that they're telling me that you don't have time. But Well, you know what? It's about making time. You know, and I have to go back for a moment because I spoke with, you know, when I tasted your stew and the toppings, mm -hmm. that just, you know, it opened the door for me as far as I actually went home and the next day I made, you know, a stew. And I didn't have a pressure cooker, but it came out phenomenal. Uh -huh. You know, it really did, you know. But... My son's father, Des, he opened my eyes to flavor, mm -hmm. you know. And when I tasted your stew with the orange zest, oh yeah, that blew me away. Mm -hmm. You know, it just. And can I use the analogy I used the other, that day I was the uh, here? I don't remember, but yes. Well, <laughs> it, because you gave I had I had two different stews, the one you had from the. Uh, previous day and then when you made that particular day. So the one you had from the previous day, you had orange zest. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I told you, I envisioned myself on a bike ride and I wanted to go somewhere and sit down and enjoy my lunch. So, you know, I take out my um, probably thermos and I go and it, it's that lemon zest, that, that orange zest that brought me to that vision. You know, um, there's greenery around me. You know, so I'm sitting on a hill, my bike is on the side, and I go and I go to enjoy this stew. And I'm looking forward to that bit of orange zest, <laughs> you know, on your stew. And then the other stew that would have probably fit for today is torrential rains outside. And it was hearty. But I envisioned myself on my king-size bed with pillows surrounding me and my big comforter. And I lean back and I'm about to indulge in this 
stew. And that's what I saw myself doing as I took a, a spoonful of your stew, that the, the second stew. So between Torrance's father and the flavoring, but yours with the topping, I'm not afraid to cook now. And I, I want to say I cook with love. My intentions are to cook with love. And I, maybe that's what your intentions are as well, you know, showing people how to do it in minimal time. And you can put... That the items that you put in there, you know, you put in there because of the love that you have for cooking, for people, mm-hmm. for nutrition. So, and I'm getting kind of corny right now, but <laughs> but I, I think anyone who and and the, the the people I speak about who don't have the time, I get, I think it's just making the time to do it. You know, just organizing yourself and items that are accessible, just utilizing them to make these nutritious meals for the family, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, back in the day, our families used to make stews, but that's because, you know, mom was home, dad was out, he was working, you know, the kids would come in from school, you know, and mom had dinner for everyone. Now it can be, you know, we can go back to those times mm-hmm. where dinner's cooked even though mom is working and dad is working, you know, and they pick up the kids from the after school when you come home, you just open up your pressure cooker and uh-huh. it's there. Uh-huh. So I don't have kids, so I haven't thought about this, but like the chopping, I mean, not as a parent, I think it's healthy to have kids learn how to use a, a, a sharp knife. I, I, I don't know what the age is, but. Well, they have kids that they have knives that are for young ones now. Okay. So they, so they can cook, they can chop broccoli and they can chop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it seems to me like we, my family, when the kids came home, there was a note that the, at my mom's house, there was a, a note, like which kid's turn it was to make a dinner that day and a recipe. And so we got home and it would say like, all right, it's Josh's turn today. And here's what you have to do. You're making meatloaf. And so here's the recipe and let's, t- let's keep it on food for now. And uh, there's nothing I'm doing there when I'm making these stews that's, that's not a kid couldn't do. There's no like exactly. braise it with some special tool or something like that. It's just a knife, a chopping board, a sink, pressure cooker. Well, I think that's it. And a fridge. I mean, sometimes he's a blender, but that's not necessary. And then step by step, you know, because I'm looking over the kitchen and I see my vinegar and sauerkraut because I was flooded with, I have all these greens now because it's like fall. And are you flooded with the, the vegetables from the CSA? The CSA, you know, I share. So we pick up every other week. Uh-huh. So what I get, I use. And my off week I still have items that I'll probably use this week, you know, because it's not my turn to pick up tomorrow. So I'm like, I just look up online. If someone told me how in the West, in America, we use uh, refrigerators and that's one way to to keep food, but there's fermentation and there's pickling and there's canning. So there's all these other things I've never really known or cared about. And so I just started looking them up and I was like, all right, sauerkraut, sauerkraut, two ingredients, cabbage, salt. And then it's a fun thing to like mix it all together. So I've been making sauerkraut ever since. And actually, it's like now when I do it, it's like five minutes of, of like crunching the stuff together, put it in the jar, let it sit. And like a month later, I got sauerkraut. And I don't know where I was going with this, it, but it's fun. But also, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm picking up that you have been, I mean, you've been making food for your family for a long time. And this is a technique that you hadn't stumbled across. And now that you've stumbled across it, you're like, oh, this could, this could make a big difference. I believe as far as the pressure cooker, 
is concerned, some people may do it. But I haven't been part of that community who does it. Years ago, you have parents, you know, my, my parents, my grandparents, who would make stews, but not in this manner, like mm-hmm. I said, because they had the time to do it. Or they, they loved cooking. Mm-hmm. Now, in realizing that you can use a pressure cooker <laughs> for that, I've been enlightened about particular things with it. That's basically mm-hmm. it. Torrance's father, um, Des, I'll, I'll just call him Des. Des, his dad cooked. And that's probably where Des picked up his culinary skills. Uh-huh. And he'll use some of the weirdest things <laughs> to make dishes. He even advised me, you know, I was making, I was making the stew the other day. And he said, well, why don't you put a peach in uh-huh. it? And I'm like, peach? <laughs> uh-huh. So I tried it. And it came out great. And then you, when I tasted yours with the zest, I'm like, oh, that's why he's had me put a peach in there, you know, for the flavor. But yours was totally different from mine where I put the peach in my stew. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, people, when they, when they look at my stews, okay. Someone who eats a lot of fast food, they look at what I do and to them, broccoli and cauliflower are the same mm-hmm. because they're both not at McDonald's. Exactly. And so they look at me and to me, week to week to week, a vegetable appears and then disappears and I don't see it for another 11 months. But to me, if I put a zucchini in the stew mm-hmm. or I put a sweet potato in the stew, it's dramatically different. Like they're mm-hmm. so different. Everything else can be the same. And if those different, like it's a totally different stew, but they see stew, whatever. It's all a bunch of vegetables. From their perspective, there's no variety. Now, I look at them, and they go to McDonald's one day, and they go to Wendy's the next day, and they're, like, totally different. Or they, they get Count Chocula, and that's the brown cereal, and they get Fruit Loops, and that's the colorful one. Totally different for them. And I'm like, same thing. So we both think the other one has less variety. And I guess I, I can't criticize someone else because by their values, maybe brown choco is different than Multicolored fruit, F-R-O-O-T. I think they can't use Fruit Loops, like F-R-U-I-T. Mm-hmm. I'm sure okay. you've noticed that. And maybe they have a better life than I do because of that. What doesn't look to me as variety, but they think is variety. Well, you know what? Their variety, and, and I'm going to say in my eyes, is more convenience as mm-hmm. opposed to your variety, which is the different types of vegetables that you do put in your stew. Mm-hmm. So cereals, the frozen raviolis or that becomes more of a, of a convenience because you really don't have to put it together. You just put it in a bowl, you put it in a pot, you boil it, and then that's it. I, I think if they saw your variety as being convenient, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's, I think it's all in changing your mindset. But at this point, it's about convenience. But you're not doing what they do. No, no. So are you giving up convenience or are you, I mean, I'm predisposed to think that it's not more convenient. They just haven't learned how to cook properly or cook quickly. And so it's not actually absolutely more convenient to live that way. It just, if you don't know how to cook, it's more convenient. No, okay, no, I, I'm not it, it's some of the people, I, some of the families that I, uh, I know, the, the woman, she's a phenomenal cook. My friend is a phenomenal cook. Uh-huh. <laughs> and sometimes it comes down to the convenience. Okay, so... It is, in some sense, absolute. in an absolute sense, there are things that are more convenient about 
getting fast food. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So why are you less susceptible than the average neighbor of yours, if, that, if that's the case? I'm not, I won't sit here and say that I've never had McDonald's or any of the fast food restaurants because that's, that's how it was moons ago. Uh-huh. And probably around 2006, I experienced um, a health issue, you know, uh-huh. something where I'm not going to get into it, but I found that if I couldn't have someone help me resolve it that way, then I was going to go another route, you know. And I did. I became a vegetarian. Uh-huh. Or I stopped eating meat altogether. Uh And uh, it was difficult in finding things to eat, you know, because I went that route. You know, I was, I didn't want to do the cheese. You know, I was definitely not going back to meat. And I thought that my choices were limited at that point. When in actuality, it was an overabundance of, of choices for me. And I always go back to Des because he introduced me to many of those options. And uh, once I got wind of that, you know, at one point we were just vegetarians and it was vegans and it was raw foodists, uh-huh. you know, so we had a number of different titles, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. And it seemed easier just to, as far as the, the, the fast food restaurants, I slowly, once I had my, my son was born in 2008 and we did French fries, mm-hmm. but I found that he was always getting sick <laughs> from, and I, I say this because it, it's true. He was always getting sick from French fries. You know, he'd regurgitate certain things. I noticed that his system could not take, uh-huh. you know, or would not take. And I said, you have to do better, Rhonda. You have to do better. So we, uh, he and his dad found um, a different way to do particular things that, helped him. You know, I found that uh, he was always congested. So we found foods that helped push the mucus through a system, mm-hmm. you know. And that's actually what led me to this. The CSA? No, 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 not the CSA, but going, you know, doing uh, more vegetables. And it was just a matter of how do I put all this together, mm-hmm. you know. And it's been years. It has been years. And I thank you for introducing me to this way, mm-hmm. you know. Because it, it is fearless, you know, not fearful. Because uh-huh. I can just throw things in the pot, you know, uh, yeah. and just call it a day at that point. Uh, and then I, not literally just throw things in the pot, but if I have particular items in the fridge, you know, and I feel like throwing a dish together, then that's what I'll do. I'll throw it together and I'll put it in my pot the way I cook it since I don't have a pressure cooker at this point. Mm-hmm. But I use a colander, so I steam everything and then I put it in my big pot. And then I just put everything in there. Mm-hmm. And it's no more than, I would say, no more than an hour between the preparation and the cooking and, and clean it up. So um, it's been a process. It's been a progressive thing for me. Since 06. Since 06. Uh-huh. And to, to venture back to, I don't do, well, let me, let me say, I do, I may do Chinese but that's because I for takeout. Uh-huh. But in realizing with that between the extra oil, and I love the, the, that you don't use oil because mm-hmm. my son loves lo mein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I realized it has so much oil yeah. and extra salt. And after just one sitting of it, it makes me feel a particular way. So I, it's necessary that I go back to my vegetables. 
because you feel a different way. You know, when you eat, when, well, I'll speak for myself. When I eat a particular way, when I go out, you know, I feel a totally different way as opposed to when I cook in. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that I do have the option to do it. And I do make the time to do it. And that's what it boils down to, making the time to make nutritious meals for your family. People tell me, Josh, you don't understand. They don't have time. And it's, about, it's a matter of making time. So can anyone make time? or they, Anyone they, they, can make time. Anyone can make time. Because I thought, you know, people always look at me and say, because I deal with young ones and I'm going this place and that place. And I say, Rhonda, you're always so busy. But, and I don't like to use the word busy. I like to use the word productive. Mm-hmm. I like to be productive in what I'm doing. And I may be hard on myself at times because at, at certain points I'm not productive. But then I have to look at it and say, all right, Rhonda, what are you going to do now? So I may get up and put something together to eat, you know, for my, for my son. I homeschool him. So I'll go and I'll read about something so I can put together a, a curriculum for him. I like to be productive. So busy is not a word that I like to use. <laughs> but I, I do believe that people can incorporate this into their busy lives. I read a part where you spoke about the amount of time people watch, oh, spend watching television and uh, five plus hours. And that's true. You know, I found myself, uh, my son and I came upon a, a series called Once Upon a Time. Uh-huh. And we binged. You know, we were up until three, four o'clock in the morning watching this program. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, Rhonda, you could have been doing something else. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not three o'clock in the morning, but, you know, I found that I could have been doing something else in that time. And you're right. People spend five plus hours on television. Mm-hmm. Some people may do it. There are particular shows that I watch for the information. But we as people can make time to do this. Mm-hmm. We can. I truly believe it. Are there people who cannot? There are people that cannot because they don't want to. So it's a choice. It's a choice. So I keep saying anyone can do this and people keep saying, no, they can't. And maybe the issue is just to spread it to new communities. Because if you haven't seen it, it's tough. And like, I think no one taught me how to do it. I just like, first I was boiling beans on the stove and that's a long time. And then I had a rice cooker and that would do it faster. And then I heard about a pressure cooker and I was like, well, let's try it. And I guess I was over 40 years old. I mean, it's been something like five years. So I was probably like 42, 43 years old. And I figured it out. But actually, that's like 40 years. It took me a lot of time to get there. I mean, maybe I should be thinking more about how to get this. Like, there's a lot of cooking shows. There's a lot of restaurants. And they all make it special. And everything I do, like the burpees, the cooking, the picking up garbage, it's all internally, I've always accessibility has always been a point. So I, the total, I've done burpees every day for almost 10 years. And you know, just to cut you off a minute, I, I attempted, well, I don't want to use attempt, but when I saw that on your, um, <laughs> I did it for a day, <laughs> then that was it. But in you being an influence, you know, on me as opposed, you know, in doing burpees, because I really don't like to do burpees. I don't, actually, I don't. I like the result. Okay. And maybe that's what it is, you know, and you're looking at the bigger picture. Uh, You may not be able to do it now, but if you do one today, maybe one tomorrow, then two the next day, and maybe three, and you just build it up from there. So it's just a matter of wanting to do it, and you wanted to do it. 
actually, I, I mean, the original story is that I never heard of them. And then I read an article where someone said they're candidate for like best single exercise because it's full body and it's cardio and it's very low risk of injury. You don't need a spotter. It doesn't matter the weather. And so I was doing them 10 a day for a month. And as I was doing them, I realized there's a gym down the block that I was a member of, but I got to pay if it's raining, I don't want to go. And here it's like all excuses go away. So it's totally accessible. I think it took me about 90 seconds to do them. So a lot of people have a spare 90 seconds in a day. It's not a lot of time. So now I think in December, I think next month, I will begin year 10. Total money spent on burpees, zero. And this is to me totally accessible. My habit of picking up one piece of trash per day, total time spent on the order of maybe 10 seconds over years because it's in my path and I can just pick it up and do it. And with the food stuff, this is to me, it's all built around accessibility because if you buy dry beans, I mean, I got a place, I got a couple of places in bulk where I can get them and they're on the order, like $2 a pound. The expensive ones are $3 a pound. And if you compare that to canned beans, if you get a pound of canned beans, those are wet and cooked or soaked and cooked. So a pound of that is actually like a fraction of a pound of dried beans. So if you buy a can for $2, you buy a pound of dry beans for $2. The dry beans are actually like five pounds of the equivalent of five cans of beans. So it's even cheaper. And if you go one shopping trip per year for the beans, they'll stay on your shelf fine. And now you can get them delivered also. And if you deliver, they're probably cheaper. And then I put in a starchy vegetable. So that could be sweet potatoes. Is Sweet potatoes, now I got a lot of squashes and I've got a pumpkin over there. And that's not a pumpkin. It looks like a pumpkin, but some kind of orange squash. And there's regular potatoes. And then there's kabocha squash, which I really love. But in early in the year, there's zucchini and there's lots of other things I could put in for that vegetable. And those will stay in my fridge. The squashes stay out and the sweet potatoes, they're, they're good for at least three or four months. I don't put them in the fridge. And that leaves the green leafy vegetable. And that doesn't last as long. I mean, spinach, will dis- that'll disintegrate pretty quickly. But some things last for a long time. I mean, cabbage stays in my fridge for months. And kale, similarly. And our, our farm produces amazing celery that is like, tastes nothing like, it has flavor. It's super strong. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And in the stew, it's like, and it lasts for a long time. And like, I got some carrots and I got the stems. So the stems stay for a long time. So I'm thinking if you really wanted to, one shopping trip a month will get you, maybe two months will get you all the green leafy vegetables. And one or two a year can take you, or maybe once a quarter, once every three or four months for the rest of the stuff. It's really minimal. So when someone says, Josh, you don't understand what it's like to be a single mother in a food desert or whatever, and I've wanted to say, you don't know what I don't know, or something like that. But what would you say about this style of cooking? Like I said before, it's a choice. It is easier. It saves on the amount of garbage that you do accumulate. Mm-hmm. We have, some families have buckets of recyclables. And I just don't see the, the, the sense in it, basically. You know, so I've been cutting down on, on a lot of things, you know, paper towel. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it from the store and I use the cloth napkins mm-hmm. instead. It's a choice if people want to 
do it this way. I just challenge anyone to do it for a week and, and, and see what happens. It makes their lives easier. You have the, what do you call them, soccer moms. You know, they're everywhere. And, and my definition of a soccer mom is, is a person who's running. You know how you, you're kicking the ball this way and that way. So that, per, that, that mom is everywhere, uh-huh. you know. And in making the time to, no matter how tired you may be, or take a nap during the day, you know, or a 15-minute snooze, and then you hop up and you do, or when your young ones are sleeping, you know, midnight, you're up chopping some vegetables, you keep it in a container in the refrigerator, get up the next morning and you prepare everything. It's done in 20 minutes and then you're off. It's less stressful, you know, because you already know that your dinner is cooked. Your lunch is cooked. Food for next day is cooked. It, it's just a matter of not worrying about, and I can only say this because I was there not worrying about what's going to be made for the next day. And another thing is, as far as our young ones are concerned, you know, I know some who are like, oh, I want whatever fast food they want for that particular day. And because it's on the route home, it's like, all right, now I don't have to cook dinner. All right, let me just pick this up. But if you're looking at it and you say, you know what? And I'll say this about my son, you know, his skin, his skin looks a bit pale, you know. I'm going to make something for dinner for tonight, you know, as opposed to, no, we're just going to, we're going to make it together. And, and bring your kids in on it, your children in on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite sure you won't shop, well, you won't venture to the fast food restaurants as much as you used to, especially if you get your young ones involved in it. And you realize that it's much more nutritious for them. And then that's it. So I think this is a phenomenal way. We're going back to most likely how our grandparents did. They used all the pots, (laughs) you know, but this is just one pot. You're preparing the food. You put it in there. And it comes from a place of love because you know that this is what uh, is best for your family. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Now, I'm listening for, because I'm, I'm looking for reinforcement, because, okay. you know, I'm, I have a bias here. Okay. Is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything I didn't think to ask about that is, maybe I'm missing, and there's a big problem that I am blind to? As far as preparing food this way, or yeah. as far as me and the area I live in, and the food that's, uh, that we purchase in our area? Because yeah. we do have, there are farmer's markets, but then... The people who buy from the farmers markets are probably people who, who are home with their young ones. Mm-hmm. I know you're speaking about single moms who work mm-hmm. and are preparing food for their children. That's what I see. It's the convenience. The people who purchase from the farmers market usually aren't the mothers who who are working. You know, it's mm-hmm. the, the the ones who are are home. You know, and then they go to pick up the children from school, and then they make dinner for the children. I'm quite sure, I don't know their situation as far as using the pressure cookers, but the, the people that I deal with, 
I know that this would be something that they'd embrace because it is easier. It is easier. And I do believe that it is convenient as far as being able to afford it. It's just a matter of prioritizing, you know, where your funds go. Instead of buying the chocolatey cereal or the fruity loops, <laughs> buy uh, the squash. Or do you use potatoes? You use potatoes also. Yeah. Don't you buy some potatoes and make a make some home fries, you know, throw some onions in there. I don't know if you could put it in the pressure cooker. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> well, that's a lot of frying, but I, I, you could probably do it with water. Too. Yeah, use water and, and until... You know, until they're soft, you know, throw some onions in there, you know, put your seasonings. And then there you have a nice hearty breakfast for your young ones, Mm -hmm. you know, before they go to school. You know, so it's just a matter of making the time to do it, wanting to make the time to do it, wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you do it. I mean, you something you said earlier to segue over to the environment, because you talked about seeing how much garbage you produce and switching from paper towels to you didn't say sponges. You said rags or uh, yeah, cloth napkins. Napkins. So it sounds to me like the environment is something. Is, is the environment something meaningful to you? Is it something you you care about and work on? You know, it is only because you know you go to the supermarket and the supermarket near me they wanted to charge everyone five cents for the plastic bag, mm-hmm. but I do believe that they should get rid of the plastic bags. You know, because you're walking in the street and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a windy day and you may see four or five plastic bags just flying around, flying across you or just skidding across the floor, the ground. And people just let it be, you know, as opposed to just picking it up and putting it in the garbage. So I believe if supermarkets got rid of the plastic bags and uh, it just forced people to use their totes, mm-hmm. Because you go to some of the BJ's or Costco's, and I believe they don't give bags. You have to carry your items either in a, uh, one of your carts or boxes. Mm-hmm. So I just look at people and uh, no, I just look at the, the, the city you know, as a whole. And a lot of this, if people picked up their trash as opposed to dropping it in a garbage can, it's a few feet ahead of them. You know, I even stopped a young man. And he had a, a soda bottle, an empty soda bottle. And uh, we were waiting across the street. And he just dropped it near the, uh, in the sewer. Uh-huh. So I approached him. I said, excuse me, but why would you put your garbage here when there's a garbage can right across the street? And he was like, oh, yeah, I usually don't do this. But, you know, so he picked it up uh-huh. and he put it in the garbage pail, you know, once we, uh, once we were able to cross the street. And I thought about it and I said, you know what, if I hadn't said anything to him, he he would have just left it there. Mm -hmm. Because if that's not something that he did on the norm, then he would have thought about it and just went down to pick it up to put it in the garbage. Mm -hmm. So it is something that he does on the norm. So I I just look at it and maybe people believe that it's someone else's job to pick up their trash. But when you hear people complain about how dirty New York City is, then there is something that we all can do as a people and just pick up. If something's flying toward us, you know, just pick it, you know, just grab it and put it in the garbage pail. Or it it becomes a humanity thing at this point because there was a box in the middle of the street and people were driving by. And I said, you know what? 
that's a da- that's dangerous. You know, so I went in the middle of the street, I took it out and I put it in the garbage pail that was on the corner. And I felt good because I'm looking out for people. You know, I'm looking out for anyone who's walking and if it's windy, the box can blow and hit them. Or if a car hits it, then who's to say what's to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to go get into all that, but it's just thinking ahead, actually. And you're looking out for people. You're looking out for yourself, actually, also. Mm-hmm. Because who's to say if that if you didn't see the box, it would have hit you in the back of the head or something like that, you know? So I think it's a humanity thing that people are quick to go to a dog's aid. Mm-hmm. I saw a number of people, and they were making sure the puppy, which is fine, but the same thing as a person or garbage that's sitting right on the street, and it should be in the garbage pail as opposed to on the side of it, that becomes a community thing. We come together, and the store owners, if it's on the corner, then you fix it. You know, you pick it up. You put it in the trash bag. Or it's, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I, I do believe people should take responsibility for something like that. I do. And when I've done it, the young ones that I've been with, they go and, oh, Miss Rhonda, I'm going to pick that up and put it in the garbage. So you plant the seed. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you plant the seed. And then our young ones will take it from there. You know? And I believe our young ones do have a voice. You know, if they see something and they express it to you, oh, Miss Rhonda, listen, yada, 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 yada. It's up to you as an adult to maybe fulfill that because this is something that's passionate or, or of a concern to this young one. Mm-hmm. So... I believe it can be done. You know, whatever it is, it can be done. It's just a matter of people wanting to do it, choosing to do it, and doing it. I'm just reading a lot of motivation. And I heard community, and I heard talking about dirt or the cleanliness. What motivates you? And what's, I mean, are there images or are there experiences of that, that drive this? What do you think about when you think about the environment or when you think about acting on the environment? That there's so much stuff out there. It's so much stuff. And, you know, when they collect the garbage, it's, you know, where does all this garbage come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And the people who clean it up, you know, it's not their garbage. And they do this on a daily basis. Do you know what the budget for Department of Sanitation is for the city? No. I, I think I got it right. That it's $1.6 billion a year for a lot of garbage. Like, we don't need that garbage. Think of not spending that money. And, and to me, like the noise of trash trucks. And you're talking about all the stuff on, on the streets. People throw things away. I'm looking to become a minimalist. And uh, certain things I have, I give away because people may need it. You know, people, some of the items I give away, they may send to family members. But I think that there's just so much stuff out there, so much garbage out there. I look in the streets and I see how people treat our streets. Mm. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and the porter in our building, he took care of the garbage. He put it out on the sidewalk when sanitation came by for it. And he probably tended to the lawn. Otherwise, families on each floor, and I lived in a 14-story building, families on each floor made sure the garbage went down the chute. They made sure our floor was clean. Mm-hmm. You know, if we saw, if there was a spill, it didn't matter who made it, you know, whomever made it should have cleaned it up, but whomever made it, we go and we clean it up because this is where we live Mm -hmm. and we should treat it 
you know, with the respect and whatever else <laughs> that um, that it deserves, you know, because you don't know how long you're going to be there. So we just we just cleaned up after ourselves. You know, I had one woman and she used to clean the front of the building to get any leaves from it from in front of it. Uh, someone would clean the back. But we did it as a community, you know, but that's died off now. Now people believe that it's someone else's responsibility. But I look at it and, you know, if there's something in our chute, the incinerator closet that needs to be cleaned up and the port is gone for the day, then I take, I take responsibility for it and I clean it up. I just knocked on people's doors on my floor and said, listen, we live on this floor together. So let's, you know, let's make sure the garbage goes down the chute and you don't leave any, you know, any garbage on the floor. So... It's planting the seed and making sure that people know that, is this a passion? Is this your passion for keeping our, our community clean? Well, yeah, it is. Um, it's a process. I probably backslid a few times. But in realizing that our, our children need to see this, you know, they need to see this. And when they go to the park, if they see, if one of their friends throws something on the ground, then they have the option, they, they, they should have the option to say, listen, man, you know, you left that on the, there's garbage right there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it begins. I invite you at your option to think, based on this clearly is something that resonates with you, something you care about, to do something that you're not already doing, and it can't be telling others what to do. And I'm not going to stop you from telling others what to do or not to do, but to think of something that for you to do yourself that you're not already doing, and I'm not saying stop what you're already doing, and it doesn't have to fix all the world's problems overnight. This is not about, if it's not big enough, it's not worth it. This is about just doing something that you care about, but that has a physical effect. So you don't have to measure it, but in principle, it could be measurable. And if you're up for it, and most people, when I say this, they like, I'm, I'll get back to you, or I can't really think of it. And then we go back and forth a couple of times, and usually something emerges. Are you game? I am. Does anything come to mind of something you could do? Oh, and it doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't have to be like, from now on, I will always do X. It, it can be. I do a number of things anyway, so I'd have to... Well, I mentioned it earlier about the supermarkets and them getting rid of their plastic bags and people come and they, they need to use their totes. Mm-hmm. I can go to different supermarkets in my area or wherever, the supermarkets and um, the place they call the bodegas that are right on the corner and... And have them not give bags out to people. Tell them they have to bring their own bags. And see how it works out for them for a week. I want to make sure that you that you're having an effect through your behavior. So if you're influencing others' behavior, that's great. But it will affect mine also because I, you know, I'll use plastic bags for garbage, but I'll have to figure out a different way to to dispose of my garbage at this point. Where, you know, today is. Where we have a compost um, that comes every Friday to the farmer's market. And I'll just find a way to combine any compost in a container and save it for that Friday and not use any plastic bags. I'll use a bucket because I don't have anything in my freezer. You know, I don't I don't have frozen food. So, you know, if anything, if I do keep anything in my freezer, it's uh, fruit for a smoothie, you know, but at this point I don't have anything. So I can keep it in a, in a small bucket in my freezer and wait until Friday and not use any plastic bags. Just use my totes when I go to the supermarket and see if the supermarkets will 
I know that's a stretch probably. Well, it sounds I'm hearing two things. One is you'll collect your food scraps in, in something other than a plastic bag. And the other will be that you'll go to the nearby markets and bodegas and suggest. They not give out uh, plastic bags. They'll you know, put a sign in their window and say, bring your totes. And maybe there should be an incentive behind it. You know, if you bring your totes to, to carry your, your purchases home, mm-hmm. then we'll give you a free tote, you know, or mm-hmm. we'll give you a... Um... I, I, <laughs> it's just a thought. I'll let you work out the details. Yeah, and I yeah. bet it will come, like the first, I would predict that if you, if you were to talk to 10 of them over the course of a week, what you say to the third or fourth or fifth is going to be very different because of your experience with the first or second. I'm not sure. But I know for me, not to bring a bag is like, in my head, you would pay extra to not use one of their bags because I enjoy not polluting. Now, I'm not proposing that you say, but I, I don't like attaching a material thing because then it's, it's implying that they don't want to do it. But I like not getting plastic bags. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, if you do this, then we'll pay you for it. It's like, it's implying that you don't want to do it and it's depriving them of the joy. But I'm, I'm just talking about me. I'm not suggesting, I, you know your world. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious how, I would love to hear how it goes. I'll, I'll work out the details and, and, and then I'll get back to you. Okay. Well, we'll record a second. If it's okay with you, can we record a second episode? Okay. And how long should we go between episodes? I mean, I know schedules are complicated, but what's the minimum time to make sure that you get enough experience? Give me two weeks. Okay. So in, in, in roughly two weeks, there's going to be a community potluck? Um, yeah, it'll be on a Saturday. Okay. So the two weeks and coming back, it will be the Sunday after the potluck. Should I bring recording equipment that we can record at the potluck? Or it might be too busy then? Yeah, and it's only, it's only a three-hour event. So, okay. And uh, I have someone else coming to uh, hopefully do uh, a Tai Chi demo. Oh, cool. Now, you told me, I, I forget if this was recorded or not, but you told me that you told friends about the stew last time. Um, mm-hmm. Will mm-hmm. they be at this event? Can they be at this event to see, it in, to see this in action? I'll ask. I'll ask. I'm not sure what they have planned for that particular day. Uh, but the other, my other, the other CSA members, uh, I did tell one person she'll be there. Uh, and I can advise, I can tell everyone else. You know, you met the other woman. She was at the, uh, she was on the farm trip. Okay. She and her family. The one sitting to my right? Yeah. She and her family, um, her husband, her two children. I told her about you or about I'm, the event. I want to keep going. But I know that we're going to talk again in a bit. So I'd like to close with two questions. Is there anything I didn't think to ask that came up that you were like, want to make sure we get covered? And is there anything you want to, that you want to say directly to the listeners? <laughs> I've probably said it a few times. You know, I'll say this. Instead of saying uh, something can't be done, mm-hmm. just take off your blinders and, and just do it. I, I say, you know, be the example and... I'm looking to be an example to whether it be, you know, my friends, you know, their children, uh, my family. So just don't close your eyes to something that you've either never delved into, never experienced, or someone else has done it. Just experience it for yourself, because that's what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, Rhonda, thank you very much. Thank you. First, for people who don't know what orange zest is, or who think that it's uh, when you uh, shred the peel of an orange, I eat the peel of citrus fruit. So oranges, lemons, limes, also 
mangoes, also bananas, all edible. Uh, and they contain, at least for the citrus fruits, they contain all the fiber and nearly all of the vitamin C. So I like that stuff. When you add it to the stew, it took me a while experimenting with it, but it tastes really good. As you heard, it's got this like kind of springtime bright flavor. Anyway, I wanted to share what that is. Everyone I talk about how I eat the peels of fruit, they then tell me about pesticides, which I know about. But in any case, yes, of course, I wash these things. And I've done the research to find out that it's healthier to still have the peel and wash it. Second, now I know what to tell people who lecture me. It always comes off as condescending about, Josh, you don't know about this. Okay, well, she's there. And actually, it sounds like now we're going to meet more. So most of all, I made a new friend. I always find that acting environmentally creates community and connection. Polluting, by contrast, doesn't. I believe because if you're going to pollute someone's world, you got to separate yourself from them because it's really not a pleasant thing to do to someone to pollute their world. So it, it helps to separate when you pollute. On the contrary, when you're sharing stuff that's really joyful, it's tough to eat really delicious food and not t- say to someone, mm, isn't this good? Anyway, I'll see her at that potluck in the Bronx in a couple weeks where I'll cook more stew for the people now expecting it, and we'll hear how her challenge goes. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.